Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. I am James Ham, your host. Joining me today, one of my favorite people in the business, Mr. Doug Christie, former shooting guard for the Sacramento Kings and color analyst for CSN Bay Area. Doug, how's it going? I am doing fantastic, James. How about yourself, sir? I'm good. It's beautiful. It's sunny. It's absolutely incredible up here in Sacramento. Ah, man, it is the the same down here in Southern California, but if I know if it's sunny up there, that means Bobby is probably out golfing, which is not good for me. Well, it's good for Bobby, though. He he looks like he needs to be out golfing or running wind sprints or uh, (laughs) swimming laps. (laughs) So... So, yeah. so Doug, this is a disappointing season. I don't think any of us saw this coming. But what is sort of your take on where this whole thing went wrong and and how we move forward here with the Sacramento Kings team? Um, well, I think more than anything, it's going to have to be a a summer of putting together a system, and the system has to be what Blatty uh, wants and how he wants to make things happen going forward. That that system is offensively, defensively. And I think that uh, the, the Kings have hired uh, coach, general manager opposite a few times, and things haven't ran as smoothly as they would like. So with Blatty at the helm, I uh, am truly confident that all of that will play out well. Okay, you know Vlade about as well as you can know a guy. and I mean, you spent a lot of time with him as a player. You guys are still friends. Is he the right guy for this position? And is he the right guy to take a team that is in so much dysfunction and fix it? I truly believe so, Ham. I mean, out of you know any and all of my teammates that I've ever had, that he, he is the only guy that I would trust in that, the position that he has <laughs> right now. He is a uh, a really good people person, uh, and he understands how to deal with different personalities and different people, which is in his job is is truly truly highly important. And uh, I think given the time, he will do a fantastic job. Okay, you talked about him putting a system in place. What kind of what kind of parameters are you thinking for a system? What what do they need to bring in as far as help or or coaches or players? What is it that you kind of, when you envision a system to maybe support DeMarcus and support the rest of the team, what is it that you're looking for? Well, I, I would say more than anything, when you talk about systems, you, you want to teach players how to play basketball. And uh, that's passing, cutting, screening, understanding how to play off for, for instance, how do you play off at the markets? And I, I don't think that's something that has been done really well thus far is, you know, we just kind of dealt with the markets' talent and his talent has dominated as opposed to understanding how to play the game, how to pass, cut, 
how to play to the strengths. I mean, you have the best inside player in basketball, but uh, we, we kind of go at getting him the ball in a, in a real blunt sort of way as opposed to really using the skill sets because I like what Vlade brought together. You know, he's got some, some veterans, he's got some young guys, he's got shooters, but now you have to figure out how do you, how do you implement all of that and do it using DeMarcus' skill set. Then on the defensive end of things, Ham, you really got to look at uh, team defense because right now we don't have a, a lockdown defender. And that's okay in, in basketball if you play as a team and you communicate at an extremely high level. So now guys have to understand how do we close out the game. If a guy gets hot, we come together and we figure out how do we stop this guy. And that's, that's, a, that's a high level of communication. It does take time, but I think that those are the parameters of the system that uh, I, I think Vladi is looking for as well. Okay, so in that in that description of a system, I heard the the name Demarcus Cousins about eight times. Is he <laughs> someone you would build around? I know the answer. I know what you're going to say, but is he someone that you would build around and bank your future on, or do you think that the Kings should move on? Uh, no, I absolutely. I am a Demarcus Cousins fan. I believe that he is the best big man in basketball. I think that we've seen Demarcus on his best behavior, meaning that when he came back from USA Basketball, he totally was in a good place. And I think the fact of losing and a lot of negativity, a lot of uprising inside of the Kings with firing and different stuff has slowly eaten away at Demarcus. And I think that you put a system around him that uses his tremendous skill set because ultimately him. It, what do you if you do go look for somebody else you're going to be looking for a guy just like the guy you got you already got him now you just got to learn how to use him you got to learn how to put a system around him that supports him and allows his greatest strengths to to really shine and I, I think Demarcus will ultimately be a fantastic teammate okay so when you talk about this this design I mean is it Chris Weber is it Vlade Divac is, I know you call him a combination of the two. How is it that you would, I mean, are we talking a Princeton-style offense that you want to see him in or something like that? Or is it just like it doesn't really matter as long as it's a defined system that requires DeMarcus to, to move the ball and to, you know, sort of emotion offense and stuff like that? Well, you know, his, his skill set is so vast because he can play inside, he can play outside. I think, obviously, his biggest attribute and biggest strength is his interior play. So when I say that he's a combination of C-Webb and Vlade Divac, that means that Vlade back to the basket, he could score with hooks, very, very smart. Then you, you look at Webb, he could step outside, knock down shots. Both of those guys could pass. Now, DeMarcus can pass, so now you have to learn how do you play off of DeMarcus? How do you put him in position? So it, it's a combination of uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if I want to say Princeton, but uh, Coach, he had us in this offense. It was called corner, and corner would be you could enter the ball to the post. You could enter ball to the elbow. Guys would, would slice off and set screens, and it's kind of what we see in Golden State, and, and they, 
uh, Steve Kerr said as much to me that we're going to be using a lot of the stuff that, that you guys learn, uh, you guys use. So when you have DeMarcus, you get him the ball at the top of the key, close enough to the basket, Ham, that one dribble gets him to the basket. And when he's that close to the basket, now he becomes a threat in a total different way. You get guys cutting off of him. He's good enough to make those passes. So uh, it, it's a passing offense something that allows motion and movement so you can't just stare at him and uh, five guys lock in on him on defense. When you look at this team, and I mean, clearly you think that that Cousins is a cornerstone, but how many pieces away are they, in your opinion, from being at least a playoff team or a competitive team? Or do you think that, that maybe they have the pieces, they just don't have the system in place to, to push forward? I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think that they have the pieces, in my opinion, that they could have gotten the eight seed. But I think the consistency, you have to get consistent numbers out of guys. You got to know, you got to be able to pencil that guy in and say, okay, he's good for for uh, 15 and eight a night. He's good. And that allows you to play the game different. Right now, you, you get the you know, box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get on on a particular night from anybody. So how, how do you, how do you just, you know, go out there and play at an extremely high level when you kind of don't know. So uh, it's hard to say, but I would say still to, to take it to that next level, probably two pieces away. You need, you know, a couple uh, more Robins to uh, DeMarcus's Batman. Okay. So Doug, your team was not only known for this beautiful style of play, but also for a camaraderie that you guys had and that you guys played together. But you you really, you look like a family on the court. Sure, you had you know times where you weren't getting along, but there were also times where it just looked like you guys were one. You're one moving entity going against teams. How do you get to that stage? And how do you take a team like the Kings that have been so broken and so dysfunctional for six or eight or even 10 years and find that sort of synergy that you guys found? Because you guys found it really quick, but how is it that you find that? You know, first of all, it takes time, and then there has to be a level of consistency within the, the organization. I think now with Vivek and Vlade, we found that now you got to do that, whether it's Coach Carl or whoever the coaching is going to be, and you got to implement that. And then now that trickles down to the players. I think that you got to get a very healthy atmosphere around the guys in the locker room. I think some of it is, is guys have to hold each other accountable. So there has to be a, a low level of accountability that comes with criticism. And it's hard to criticize when you don't think that maybe someone has your best interest at heart. So that, that is something that has to be developed. And I think you do that sometimes if you're going to criticize somebody on one end, you also have to laugh with them on the other end. And that's something that, you know, we would do. I could tell Vlade, hey, you know, you really need to make sure that you're there or that wasn't very good. But at the same time, you know, he would pull a prank on me and we would totally laugh. And the same goes for Chris and Bobby and Mike and everyone. So that is a, that's a tough mix. And that's why I always laugh with Vlade and say, that's why you get paid the big bucks, man. You got to figure that mix out. That's right. So, so Doug, you've taken on a different role. You're, you're with CSN. How, how much are you enjoying being back around Sacramento, being back around the players, uh, having it, the TV gig that you, you have, how, how nice has it been for you to kind of 
come home to Sacramento? You know, it, it has been an absolute blessing, man, because it, it is a it's a place that uh, I, I truly miss. It was so so definitely difficult to to leave when it did happen, and now to be back and to be back around it and have the blessing of uh, you know Vlade obviously to to be in charge. It, it has just been fabulous because the fans of Sacramento are are truly near and dear. I think that they're the best fans in the world and they come out uh, every single night and they support and they just want you to, to come out and play your heart out. So uh, the TV, the radio has been incredible. You know, as, as a player, I, you know, you don't know if you would like that or coaching, you, you just don't know. And now that I've, I've done it, I, I enjoy it. It is a way to, to obviously stay around basketball ham, but at the same time to talk about it, to, to, you know, get my philosophy and, and my ideas and, and the passion and love that you have for the game, I think, shines through. And, and so far, they've, uh, they've said, and they, meaning my bosses and the people, because that's who, who matter, have said I've done a good job. So I, I'm truly, truly enjoying it. Well, I love, I love working alongside you. You're always uh, not only inclusive, but you you really have a way about you of of speaking the truth of being honest but being positive the entire time i'm not sure how you can be positive i know at one point you said to me in the media room all right ham you got to put a a positive spin on this and i said <laughs> i said doug that's not my job that's your job on tv my job is to be honest and it's it's really it's an interesting world to live in and to to watch things unfold. I'm sure it is for you as well, where you're seeing how do you be positive on a nightly basis? How do you go into work knowing that the team may not give what you and Guy and Bobby give on a nightly basis? So it's just, it's it's been a breath of fresh air to have you back around. Um, but I, I got to ask the million dollar question, is TV, yeah, yeah. Is TV your life or do you want to get back and, and do you want to be part of this coaching staff and part of this franchise in a different way? You know, I'm loving the TV thing. I think that, that there's a, a passion and an itch in me that would love to be involved in coaching. Uh, we'll see where that, that goes. But right now the, the TV side is, is totally fantastic. I, I, I totally enjoy it, but uh, yeah, it, it is hard Ham, sometimes to, 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 to play the, the positive, but that's just kind of my nature, you know, in the ashes of disaster, you got to find that pithy bit of positivity because that's the only way to move forward. You know, if you really want to move forward or you dwell on the negativity and dwelling means that you stay in one place. So, uh, you know, right now, uh, I am behind the microphone. I, I really, really enjoy it. My color stuff with, with Grant and Jerry has just been, I've learned so much from those two guys. I, I truly, truly appreciate them because uh, they brought me in and just, man, it's just been awesome. So uh, hopefully some more of that. But if, if coaching calls, uh, I will cross that bridge when it comes. Uh, we'll, we will see him. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, there, there there is a chance, man. I I I'm organic. I just kind of I, I follow uh, I follow where the Lord leads me, man. Wherever it's gonna be, I I don't know where that's at, man. I, I mean, I, yeah, I would have never thought 
him that I'd be doing doing radio, man, and then bang, I'm doing radio. Then I they call me and do TV. I never thought I'd do TV, and then I'm doing it. Then they call and say we want you for some more TV, and then before you know it, you know I'm comfortable and I'm having a good time. And like you said, with Guy and Bobby and Katie and uh, you know all the different yourself and uh, Jerry and Grant. I mean, just you guys are incredible people to work with, and and uh, you know. My working atmosphere is fantastic. I'll say that. You know, uh, it's not so much always for the Kings right now, but that times must and do change, my friend. All right. Well, Doug Christie, thank you so much for stopping by. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you on the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Anytime, Ham. Have a good one. Go Kings. Welcome back to the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always in the second portion of the podcast Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's happening? Not much, man. It's uh, it's fairly nice weather here in Sacramento. It's uh, it's been kind of a good week. Nice and nice and chill. Yeah, it is kind of like where I'm at, 65, and sun's out. We had soccer practice this morning. It's beautiful. Uh, it's definitely a good time to be alive in Sacramento, except for if you're a Kings fan, and it's uh, frustrating, and you're watching. Let's just call it the death march, the the long, arduous task of finishing another disappointing season. Um, what are your takeaways on this four-game road trip where the Kings went one and three? Was there anything that stood out to you that looked magical or looked horrible and you just want to like, put your finger or thumb on it and just grind it into the ground? Not really. I mean, I thought that they pretty much kind of torched the rest of the season, you know, at the All-Star break when they didn't let go of Carl. Uh, kind of nothing's changed since last week. I I think they're still, they're kind of short-sighted in thinking that these games don't matter in terms of development for these players. I think you heard that in Darren Collison's voice when he made his comments after the game that they have to finish strong. I just got done listening to a podcast. The Colorado sports guys do a good podcast for the Nuggets. Always like to check in on them, how they're doing and how Michael Malone's doing. Michael Malone, other coaches are all big on how does a team that's in development, you know, that's not in the playoffs, how do they finish the end of their season? Because it's a big, big um, stepping stone for their summer and for the next season. And DeMarcus Cousins is not exactly, you know, it's not easy. You you can't project with confidence that he's going to have this great turnaround next year. Even if you do get the best coach you could get and you have the best offseason that you can get, that's a heavy lift right there. And it's something they should be starting on now um there's not a lot to be gained i mean you can maybe jump up a few slots in the draft maybe with the keywords in terms of losing the pick they've got there's teams that are trying to win that are much better than them that are ahead of them in the tanking standings so they would have to to uh catch up two and a half games to milwaukee and denver um in 11 games to put themselves on the outside looking in and then if they are 8, 9, or 10, they can have up to a 10% chance of losing that pick. So these are really low odds to bank a tanking or scorched earth strategy around. That's what they're doing. Uh, there's not a lot of point to it, but um, the, the players are just going through the motions. It's hard to watch. I mean, there's not a lot to glean from the games. So I just think that they've missed the boat on this, and they're going to pay for it. All right, you know what? Let's start with the Darren Collison quotes because, look, I'm getting, I've told you this before. Darren Collison's a pro's pro. He is an honest and straightforward guy. 
there are times where he vents off the record that are, uh, I mean, it's not like crazy and wild, but you know, he, he, you know where he stands at most of the time. And I thought his, his comments following the Kings latest loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves, where they're now three, they, they're 0 and three against the Timberwolves this year. And the Timberwolves of course are a very, very, very young upstart team. They have, they start a 20 year old and two 21 year olds. It's like Team Green that's got so much talent. It's crazy. But uh, following the game, Collison said, same stuff every night. Inconsistency. Not being able to put four quarters together. Not being able to play together on a def- uh, as, a defense- as a team defensively. Not being there for each other. Same stuff. I mean, it's, ju- it's not just the players. It's coaches included. Coaches and players. Everybody. It's not just a particular group. We've got to find a way to come together and figure out something to finish the season strong. It's not about wins and losses, obviously, at this point, but it's about finishing the season the right way and going out there and playing hard. Now, Collison is frustrated. He is very frustrated, and a lot of the Kings players are very frustrated. I think it's very interesting, very telling that he, uh, again, a pro's pro, ropes George Carl and the coaching staff right into the conversation with everybody else. I think there is a general malaise going on with this team, but the frustration for people on the outside looking in, you kind of brought up some of the things. A bad team going down the stretch usually finds ways to lose, and, and that's that's typical. But when you're watching a team un, unwind down the season and and it's just everything's falling apart and you're struggling and you you can't get a win and again you finish a trip one and three you would hope that at some point you turn to young players and instead we're seeing like a Karam Butler revitalization and I love Tough Juice I do I I think he's a great dude and I think he has deserved to play the entire season which is something DeMarcus Cousins said earlier this week Um, but why why would you focus on guys like James Anderson over Seth Curry or Quincy AC over Willie Cauley-Stein. I, I don't understand sort of the way that this has unfolded. And I, and I think like you've made reference to this. I've seen you make reference that you believe it's George's final, like he's trying to get fired or that it's his way of saying, you know, this is what you get for not firing me on the way out the door. But it really doesn't make any sense, especially when you consider that it doesn't matter what veterans he plays, they still lose. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, here's the, the bottom line is, George, he, he has to know he's not coaching the year next year. I mean, if he does Everyone else it, does. Yeah. yeah, everybody knows he's not. And so this, it, it, you have a basketball decision here that 99 out of 100 coaches would make, George being the only one that wouldn't to play Willie Cauley-Stein, not just right now, but throughout the year. You've got a defensive problem. This is a guy that's played well all year. He should have been playing all year. I feel like we're just covering old ground here. Yeah, we've beat the drum on this. Like, he's, he's just not going to play him, though. If you heard him talk to Grant, he's he thinks he's played him enough minutes already this year. And when he talks about how much he's going to play him going forward, I don't see him playing him more than 20 minutes a game going forward. Maybe he'll concede at the last week of the season and give him 30 minutes for like the last three, four games. But that's, that's George's vision of what the Sacramento Kings should be. But unfortunately, you know, while he's being paid by this team, I might add, he has no interest in what the future of the Sacramento Kings is. 
the, the future of the Sacramento Kings would benefit from having Willie Cauley Stein get the mistakes out of his system now versus next season. And also he's really creating a player that has got that deer in headlights sort of feel because he's getting yanked from games when he's not doing anything wrong or when he's doing less wrong than what other players are doing. Or you could just use it as a teachable moment, but keep him in the game. The stopping and the starting, it, it, all of this has created a lack of continuity to his experience. And that in its own has it's decreased his progression or slowed his progression through the learning curve. So that is just a massive problem. Um, Marco Bellinelli continues to be the worst player in the NBA that has get, gotten 25 minutes per game or more. And it's not I, – I, <laughs> I feel like I'm bagging on Marco – Marco, if you put him on the Spurs right now, would look so much better just because they'd use him correctly. James Anderson is not a good defender. Um, talk about tough juice. I mean, while he's having these scoring games, he's still giving it up on the other end defensively. There's a reason why he hasn't played a lot for not just the Kings or for the Pistons or going backwards throughout his his career. He, he's old. It's nothing against him. And yeah, he could have gotten minutes at the expense of Marco Bellinelli and James Anderson, because those guys aren't giving you anything on a night-to-night basis. And again, a lot of that's how, how they're being used, the, stru- the, pardon me, the frustrations and struggles of the entire team. But to bring it back to Darren Collison, Mar- DeMarcus Cousins has been getting killed for saying these things. And Darren Collison is getting asked by outlets that are saying, what are you guys do? What's the problem? Why can't you guys get it together? And that's the frustration of this team is, the narrative that's been pounded into media outlets by George is that they're not getting it done. But George not once has said, I have not gotten it done this year. George is standing by his guns. And you listen to the guys, you know, the radio guys that were talking about Michael Malone in Denver, since Kings fans know Michael Malone and they can relate to all this. When Michael Malone said his team quit the other day, that's something that Brian Shaw said. Brian Shaw's nuggets were a total mess. Mike, Michael Malone's nuggets are actually in a really good place. And, and the, I forget the name of the radio guy that was doing the talking, but he said the difference between Michael Malone and Brian Shaw is that Michael Malone is taking responsibility for the situation. It does not feel like he's piling onto the players, whereas Brian Shaw's message was, look at me, I'm doing a great job. These guys aren't doing their job. And that is the central tenet of the problem in this locker room is George has not taken responsibility for the obvious mistakes that are taking place once this season. And guys like Darren Collison, who are consummate professionals, are finally sick of it and they're speaking up. So that's, I think, the story that came out of that game. Yeah, I think it's interesting when we look at, you brought up Cousins, and and Cousins has said very similar things. And you know what? I think there's like this misconception that Cousins has literally taken like a chainsaw to George Carl in postgame. And that's just not true. He said cryptic things. He said that we've had we have problems inside here. You know, he's he said things that make you you know. And if you ask him, well, George Carl just said this. He'll look at you like he just said that. Well, that's interesting. You know, but he's not the only one that's doing that in the locker room. Trust me. Uh, he hasn't like backed up the truck and run over George. But that's not what you get from the media outlets. They're, oh, he's just killing. The problem with DeMarcus is always going to be delivery. He knows it. He and I have discussed it. I, I, he he literally doesn't know how to like deliver something gently to somebody. But then again, I'm just going to say it the, so people get it. 
all of the kinks are feeling the same way. Well, nine out of 10 of them. And the, the ones that aren't are checked out completely. When you look at what Darren Collison says, you have to take it with so much value. It has so much value when he's saying it because he's not a guy who says negative things about coaches or other players. He's a guy who's always a pro. Now, again, the message is the same with Cousins. It's just everyone wants to burn Cousins to the ground when he says it. So I would like to see the Darren Collison hit piece that that should come after these comments, <laughs> but it's not coming because he's not an easy target and he's not the poster child for dysfunctionality. But that doesn't mean that everything he's saying hasn't been said by DeMarcus Cousins and and it's just being packaged in a much nicer way because that's who Darren Collison is. So what we have to do is we have to get DeMarcus to find a happy medium between saying these things and saying them at the top of his voice in the middle of a NBA basketball game with an angry look on his face while he's screaming and yelling. You know, again, there's there's using explicits and then there's using a calm, frustrated voice in a locker room. And I, I think DeMarcus just has to master that. But overall, this is why I keep giving DeMarcus a free pass. And people might say, well, you're a DeMarcus apologist and, oh, there's something there. You know, I don't know why. Look, I've been on, I've been harsh on DeMarcus his entire career. And I just don't see it. Not this year. I, I mean, I see that he's made mistakes, but it's mistakes in delivery. It's not mistakes in message. And I keep trying to get people to understand that, that this team, all of them, feel the same way. They're all frustrated. Even just people know, even Marco Bellinelli is frustrated that he's been used incorrectly and that it's made him into the player that he's become. Everyone is frustrated. And so this is a very interesting sort of development that's that we're seeing as it's coming down the stretch. But I'm going to throw some things out there. Like, look, the Kings are embarrassing themselves, especially on their home floor. Aaron, they've lost seven in a row at Sleep Train. And this is one of the, the great home courts in the in the NBA. It has been for decades. Even when they are a horrible team, they still win at home. You know, you see this this road, I mean, this home win streak that both the Spurs and the, the Warriors have, right? It's just incredible. They haven't lost. And if you go back to the early 90s, the Kings had a season where they went 0-41 at home. I mean, on the road. 0-41 on the road. And they still won like 22 games. I mean, they never are 14-20 and 20 or 16-20. and 20. I think they're 14-20. and 20. They're never 14-20 and 20 at home. This is shocking. And people are like, oh, well, the fans aren't showing up. Wrong. The average attendance at a Kings game is like 17,259. The maximum capacity is 17,314. So they're they're like 80 tickets off a sellout on the season. And this is what the fans get for their dollar. It's shocking. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I've been kind of shouting from the mountaintops that this isn't good for you guys. And I almost feel like at this point, you know, there's not as much resistance out there as there should be. And almost to kind of just stop shouting off the mountaintops because you guys are you're heading towards disasters. So you got two outcomes. One is you trade DeMarcus Cousins for 50 cents on the dollar. 
and you try to become one of like, I don't know what tanking teams or rebuilding squads in small markets have had success turning around the superstar for, you know, assets trade. I, I don't know. Like, I know that San Antonio got lucky with Tim Duncan. That was a long time ago. Uh, who else? I do not know. So that's one. Um, two, you have this really, really big DeMarcus Cousins issue that's you're going to put a timer on it. You're going to get a new coach. Hopefully that works out for you guys. Then you're going to have all the offseason. Yeah, we're going to be great. and We've got this great vibe and the, the, everybody's bought in that all 30 teams have that this team had. And then you're going to get to game one and it's either going to work or it's not. And depending on who you sign and, and what you do, you know, there's a lot of roadblocks so that you guys could just completely throw your season off. If it doesn't work, what's the timer for DeMarcus Cousins to get frustrated? Is it a month? Is it two months? Does the end get near? Do the hit pieces start to irk him? You know, there's so many ways that DeMarcus Cousins thing can spin out of control. So if that happens and you're staring at the trade deadline and you're like, well, now's our time. You know, people want him gone now, you know. So by the time, what, December ends, there will be a decision made internally and externally about DeMarcus Cousins. So you're giving yourselves a two-month ramp for yet another coaching change and just putting so much pressure on your organization right now to make it work with DeMarcus Cousins, the, the degree of difficulty on the jump is very high. So now you guys have, you got your two options laid out in front of you. You guys have decided to balk and let Carl coach out the rest of the season so you can move from maybe a nine to an eight to a seven pick, increase your lottery odds um, by 5%. And or give yourself, you know, a 90% versus a 100% chance of keeping your pick. That's where I, I kind of take my hands off of the steering wheel with you guys and say, hey, if you guys want it so bad, you can have it. Um, it's not looking good, though. I, I just I don't know where you guys go from there. Um, you guys got to have one heck of an off season to make this all pan out. See, I think you bring up something really interesting here, and that is the pressure that they've built for themselves coming into this offseason. Because there will be no late season, like positive vibe coming out of this. There's, it's just gone. It's gone. So even if they were to somehow, like, pick up a bunch of, I think, what do they have? Seven games at home. Seven of the eleven. Um, if they could pick up a little momentum here, at least it's not just complete scorched earth. And but even still, I think it. Even for that, it's too late. You want to have some sort of positive thing going on when you head into the offseason. And I, I think the only positive thing that the Kings have is that right now, again, they are the seven the seventh spot in in the draft lottery, and they can't lose their pick if they're the seventh spot because they have to actually land at the eleventh spot to to lose their pick. So if they're seven, the worst that can happen is three teams somehow magically jump above you and 10% you drop chance. and you drop eight, nine, and ten. Right. So Wins, again, like Darren Collison said, wins mean nothing at this point. But let's play hard. Let's play together. Let's not feel this this enormous, just like, this is a horrible, horrible season. And I, we just keep saying it, but let's let the, the young guys, the reason why you let young players play down the stretch is because it's an easy way to pick up losses while developing players. Because young players tend to make mistakes that will hurt you. Now, again, we can we'll touch base on Willie again. Uh, he's played 
six minutes or fewer in three of like the last, I don't know, 10 games. He got the flu. Uh, he, he lost a, a little bit of weight. He's a little bit weak. But when I see him out there on the floor, I see a player who's panicked trying to make an impact immediately because he's worried he's going to go off the floor again. And, and I think that that's a pretty fair assessment of what's going on with him. His confidence level couldn't have been higher in February and even in early March, and now it's gone. He he comes into the game like a kid hopped up on sugar trying to make an impact, and yeah, well, it's just horrible. It's horrible what's happened here. Yeah, that's where I, I really get confused with why everybody's so let's just finish the season out with Carl and and you know nothing to see here, folks, is that it's actively hurting the development of players and it's really damaging the franchise. And it's just kind of like, la, 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 nothing's going on. Yeah, and hey, I'm going to point out, look, Seth Curry, uh, he may or may not be an NBA player. And I'm not super concerned about Seth Curry. And I'll say the same thing, like people have brought up Duye uh, Dukin, uh, and they brought up Eric Moreland. Look, there's a much better chance that Eric Moreland and Duye never play an NBA game again than there is that they come in and make some sort of magical miniature impact on a game. So I'm not worried about those guys. Realistically, the future of your front line is Willie Cauley-Stein. It's Willie Cauley-Stein with DeMarcus Cousins or without DeMarcus Cousins. He is part of the future, and you have to nurture that. You have to bring that along, not stymie it in some weird, like, I don't even know if it's retaliatory way. I mean, did you see the exchange that George had with Jason Jones of the B where he said, what would you do with Willie Cauley-Stein? And Jason said, well, I would start him. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, and I he saw goes, that. Yeah, and he's like, well, we have a difference in opinion then. It's like, well, but George that's, is the only one with that opinion. Well, that's why my piece was titled, you know, George Carl is daring the Kings to fire him because he's clearly not acting in the best interest of the franchise. And that's a fireable offense. I agree. And that's him thumbing his nose at everybody saying, you guys don't have the, the cojones to do, to do it for whatever reason. He knows that he's making it to the end of the year. So he's going to do what he wants. And that is, that was, I don't know why. I mean, I know I have a lot of Liberty and how I cover the Kings. And so I, I know that that allows me to write something like that, but that's not the tone of the coverage. That's, that should be the tone of the coverage because right now, there's not, and like I said earlier, it's an active, uh, damaging uh, situation to the franchise. So, um, where do you go? Where, where do you, you go? go? <laughs> it's kind of I get a little bit lost because we've covered it all in so many different directions. It's like where do you go? Um, Willie Cauley Stein, number six pick, needs to be developed um, because you spent a six pick on him, and he's good. And he's earned minutes and like Marco Bellinelli, like him and James Anderson have at least five effort plays per game where they're not giving the effort and they're not getting it done for you on offense. So where are you, where you go with that? You know, like, yeah. how do you, how do you resolve that? And I think when we, again, we beat this day dead horse with Willie, but the, the issue too, is that um, he's proven over the season to actually be a plus uh, his defensive metrics his offensive metrics when he's on the field on the court and off the court are all 
really strong. And again, it's if you can't look at the advanced statistics and see that he makes your team better offensively, you're a 121 rating when he's on the court. And defensively, he makes your team better. You're a 107. He's a plus 14 in the offensive rating versus defensive rating on the season. And he he's a 22-year-old rookie. He's not a 18-year-old, 19-year-old. He's not a European player that's trying to adjust to the NBA game. He's a kid that at some point is going to have to play major minutes or you have to somehow say that he's a bust. And I just, I mean, that's not even possible to say that he's a bust, but to just put him on the shelf like most of the second half of the season, uh, it's criminal. It's like, wow. Well, I can't and there was it. one other thing I heard George say to Grant on his show on 1140 KHTK was, uh, <laughs> was that, uh, that he actually regrets taking this job a little bit. He was asked if he regrets taking the job, and he said that 10% of the time those thoughts go into his head and that he has to work to get those thoughts out of his head which is a long way of going around to saying, yeah, I regret taking this job. Nobody's happy. It's, it's a bad relationship. Yeah. They, and to, to what, and I mean, to why are you continuing it when there's a clear and obvious solution to clear the air out of sleep train before you shut the doors, before you implode the building, you know, before you go into your shiny new arena, which you know what? If the Kings go rebuild, they got five, three, three to five years on that plan before it does anything good. And then if you keep DeMarcus Cousins for a half year and then you trade him, you're, you're just starting that plan a half year later. And who knows what, what DeMarcus Cousins' value will be if he has another tough season where nothing gets done and maybe he gets dinged up a little bit. You might even get less on that return at that point in time. Those expensive seats in that arena are going to be real hard to fill. It could start to look a little bit hectic at the downtown arena. That's why I say you can't do it. That's why I continue to say you can't blow it up. You have to fix it. You have to make the adjustments that will fix it instead of blowing it up. Because you, you, you're right, Aaron. You cannot put the put it all on the arena. I mean, really, you're placing so much pressure on the people to sell tickets and to sell suites and to do all that. You have to have a positive vibe. You have to have a positive vibe going in. And, you know, again, you could say, well, DeMarcus might not be a positive vibe guy. But at the same time, I mean, I'm looking at this and saying, look, you can't, you can't afford three to four years. You can't, you can't do what the Minnesota Timberwolves are. And you know what? Like I wrote about in my, in my rewind after the, the loss to the Timberwolves, you know, Minnesota got lucky when it comes to getting the first pick two years in a row. And, you know, they had to give up Kevin Love, right, to get to get Wiggins. Uh, and then Carl Anthony Towns is just unbelievable. Uh, he's going to be, I don't know, Anthony Davis-esque here in a couple of years. He is so good and so impressive. And so they've got two, like, franchise cornerstones. But really, if you look at what they've done with development – Zach Levine is coming along, although his first half against the Kings was so uninspiring and so horrible to watch him on the court. I don't even know why he was. He's got a shoulder injury right now. Well, he looked like he he was like ready to go watch cartoons somewhere. I mean that just he looked so disinterested. It was ridiculous. I mean he walked to the free throw line and I don't even think he looked at the rim. 
and he just threw balls up. He was 5 of 10 from the line. He just threw clanks up there. He didn't even care. He had zero points in the first half, and it looked like a bad zero where he didn't actually care. But, I don't think anybody cares playing the Kings right now. Well, That's, but, These games are really hard to watch. Here's my point, though. that The Kings could have had a guy like Zach Levine, but they instead they, mm, they drafted yeah. Nick Stauskas uh, five picks earlier. And they could have had Gorgie uh, Jang, who who is a very, very good young player. And he's going to be even better as his team grows together and matures together. The Kings have missed every single step of the way. Is it five consecutive drafts that they have completely whiffed? I mean, Jimmer Fredette, Thomas Robinson, uh, Ben McLemore, uh, Nick Stauskas. And at this point, I, I'm, I'm throwing... Ben McLemore into that as well. And some people are going to go, wait, 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 but he's got so much potential. You know what? At some point, potential has to turn into something. And he's disappeared completely well, he's been, this season. He's been ruined he, by the crap. I mean, if you I put guess, him in San Antonio, he probably gets better incrementally every year. Maybe. He's a different product, but he's gotten worse every year here. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, and, and, and he's just shut it down. I mean, he's missed eight games with the, the broken tip of a finger. Like he thought, like most people thought he wasn't even going to miss a game or two. He was questionable for the first game and just shut it down. Like, ah, I'm done. So I, I'm really surprised at just the negativity that's building because when we talk about playing young players, realistically, Ben McLemore should be the other guy we're talking about, not Seth Curry. He should yeah, be the guy who's playing 35 minutes a night and you don't take him off the court. But that's not what's happening. You're closer to it than I am, and I haven't done a lot of digging around who, who, what kind of injury is this, and how injured are they, and this and the other. I did, I have asked a couple sources, like, and the feel has been like this was expected, almost like what did you think was going to happen? And what with Ben, which is the injuries in general. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, no. The injuries. I mean, if you're looking at the game that Omri took off, and the game that Bellinelli took off, and the game that Cousins took off, those are scheduled. Uh, almost nights off i mean right people can't get away fast enough is i think my point like oh do i want to go out there and get embarrassed and you were talking about the home court with arco or pardon me sleep train is it's harder to play at home sometimes because it's more embarrassing to play at home sometimes the the weight of expectations of the fans the booze the the icky feeling in the building that stuff weighs on players again another reason why you just have to cut the cord like and and you you say like Corliss can't do it. I'm sorry, man. It like Corliss can do it. Well, at this point, uh, I mean, I would, I mean, I'm not calling again for him to be fired. I, I just, I think that they're gonna write it out. But I, you got nothing to lose. You might as well like try to, you know what? Don't make it about basketball. Don't make it about the angst and the the angriness that's built inside here. I think you're right. You could relieve the pressure off of this team and let them finish out the last 11 games with at least try to find some joy in it and and try to move forward. But uh, the thing that they really have to do in these last, I think as a franchise, they have to make it not about basketball anymore. They have to celebrate the, the arena, celebrate the final seven games at sleep train and just try to let the fans like bask in that. And I mean, that's really sad when 
you're talking about a season where they thought that they were a playoff team and the <laughs> the Western Conference is so pathetic and they keep I, losing the Kings so the Kings haven't they been eliminated they could have made it it's so crazy if they had done the change and and they they'd done anything anything different they they would be in the conversation I mean just to watch the Western Conference just fall apart it's just so sad and pathetic but again I think you're at a point where you almost have to make the season about like Tiffany being the halftime show uh, on Friday night's game and saying, you know, the final game they're they're going to bring in every single player that they can possibly bring in from the 30 years at the arena. I mean, it's going to be like a, an incredible night guys like Spud Webb or Antoine Carr, or, you know, like these, these guys that you watched, you know, in baby blue or or in royal blue and and get to see them come back and like celebrate it but i mean that's the stuff that gets me irked on your guys's behalf though. it would be it's nice like, though though if you could just it's, have basketball to go with it well i mean you you're supposed to have that moment you guys fought for five years we reported on it for four years or i have no idea how many years we reported on it but like all this went into it and it's being held hostage by one person and then an ownership that's not going to make the move. And it's like, wait a second, that's there's something bigger going on here that that really Sacramento needs to have this celebration. It's being taken from them. And if you if you have Willie Cauley Stein playing 20 minutes on the last night or whatever have you, you know, whatever sort of drama is going on, you know, say they have a blow up, you know, three games to go or the second to last game of, of the closing. What's that last? It's going to be fun. People will have their fun. They will have their celebration. They will set all of that aside, but it's still going to be sticking in the back of their minds. Like what, what what we worked for this, that's going to be, I think (laughs) a little bit disappointing and it will feel not like the Maloof fan appreciation night, but it'll have that sort of off feeling. Well, and that's what I, the pressure is building. The pressure is just building to be so enormous this, this off season. And it, it just really, this is another time where it just shines so so brightly where you're like oh man you've got so much in front of you i mean he uh, vlade is going to hire some front office people to help him and then he's going to make a coaching hire and and you know we're going to see this thing and and then he's got to jump into the draft and jump into free agency but they have to get it right like right now and unfortunately they it's on such a tight schedule that they have to they they have to hire people and and fire people and they have to build continuity and then they have to have a collective idea of what a good draft pick would be and then they've got to they've got to have a collective identity of what you know what you need in free agency and then they have to move forward i mean this is just so much to jam into such a small window i, I don't know how it's going to work out but um i, I don't know I, I guess we'll have popcorn and we'll be waiting on the you know, yeah. it, to see how it unfolds. It'll be just like that. We'll all be watching it unfold. And they, they just, it was a, a miscalculation, you know? You should not, you overreact to firing Mike Malone and the impact that that has on your reputation and think that if you fire another coach that you're just going to look too bad. It's like chasing one mistake with another. Yeah, it is. And that's that's all it is. And you just hope that they can release the pressure to... Um, to take full advantage of the off season and not put themselves at a disadvantage for the following season. All right. So that was a highly negative and, uh, this, I, I don't know what, how do you, how do I don't, 
I don't feel like it was that negative. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's not my team. <laughs> I, I, am, I, I, I feel like Kings fans are largely checked out. I feel like that's almost a good thing for them to do, like mentally, you know, to not ride this roller coaster. Um, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they are checked out and, you know, but every decision from here on out has to be right. It does. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure, Vladi Divots. I mean, every, you know, it is what it is. You've put yourself in a position where you got to be so good. I have sense though that Kings fans out there are highly resolved, or probably they feel it's like they've come to grips with this, and you just don't see them going through the ups and downs of the uh, roller coaster quite as much. And that's not a good place for the organization to be, but I almost think it's better for them, you know, for the next couple of weeks to not ride the roller coaster. Well, especially, it's not a good thing when the Golden State Warriors are primed for another championship run, and so I mean, it's you coincide chaos and destruction and negativity with a absolute blow up where kids around the NBA, kids around Sacramento, they're looking at Steph Curry and they want to be Steph Curry. And that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to win back fans. I'm a Warriors fan, and I've lost a lot of that being in media. You know, from back in the day, I lived that whole thing. So there is hope, Kings fans. Like, I never would have dreamed that the Warriors could have ever been good, ever, ever, ever. And now they're just this global phenomenon. They're a juggernaut. Yeah. It's just, and it's not going to end for a while. So, you know, give it some time. Lacob wasn't good in his first couple years. So he figured it out, and mm-hmm. you guys can figure it out. So there is positivity somewhere in this cloud of negativity. All right. So, Aaron, do you have any final, final thoughts? Um, no. No. I think we covered it all. Um, you know, just don't ride the roller coaster. <laughs> just don't ride. Just say I'm not tall Stay enough. Stay off the ride. I'm not tall enough to get on that thing. I'm not, I'm not riding it. Uh, all right. So I, I have no final thoughts this week. Uh, I think it is we, we kind of know where this thing is going. So uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I want to thank Doug Christie for coming in and spending some time in the first half. He is a breath of fresh air, always has been, uh, but his his sort of voice of, of positivity and, and glass half half full? Yeah, half full is, is a welcome... Uh, a welcome sight in the kingdom of I, I do have some fun with us. You guys are killing it on your coverage at CSN. All of you straight across the board are great every single night. There it is again. Aaron Bruski, pump it up, pump it up CSN. So I am James Ham. He is Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>